Warning, this episode will contain explicit content. This may be offensive to children under the age of 18. Also, this may be offensive to some adults as well. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Use and Abuse the Music Podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Kim. This is episode 49. Today we're going to be talking about the Parents Music Resource Center, also known as the PMRC and the Washington Wives. Real quick, as you heard in the beginning, just before the song played, the opening intro song played, yes, there is a warning on this episode. Right now we're going to go through our normal run. So when we get to that point where we feel that it should be a uh, parental advice guidance type thing where you should maybe not listen to with your children. We'll let you know again. So let's find out what is this day in music history, May 17th. And in 1969, my wife, my dog, my cat by maskman and the agents hits number 92. It was reported by a British magazine that the New Musical Express that for the first time ever, album sales had overtaken single sales in the UK. 49,000. Oh, 49,184,000 <laughs> albums were produced during 1968 compared to the 49,161,000 singles. The Who released the album Tommy in the U.S., a band calling themselves the Chicago Transit Authority releases their self-titled debut album, which would eventually peak at number 17. By the end of the night, by the end of 1972, the LP had amassed 148 weeks on the chart, making it the longest-running album by a rock group up to that time. The band was later sued by the Real Chicago Transit Authority and was forced to shorten their name to Chicago. For just 35 cents, you can pick up a copy of this month's Rolling Stone magazine with Joni Mitchell on the cover. My goodness, 35 cents. I know, imagine that. And in... 1979, Billy Joel sings the national anthem before Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Finals between the New York Rangers and the Montreal Can- Canadiens at Madison Square Garden. The Rangers lose the lose the game and the series and in 1989 Rolling Stones bassist Bill Wyman opens the Sticky Fingers restaurant in West London. Guests with big appetites can order the Beggar's Banquet. Promoters in the Mon- in Montreal announced the co- cancellation of the of a July 5th reunion concert by The Who because of poor ticket sales. There was heavy demand for tickets for the other 25 dates on tour. And in 1999, 1999, 1999, no doubt, sued the clothing manufacturer No Fear with a claim that the company's clothing items that had the No Doubt name on them infringed on the band's copyrighted service mark. Canadian record producer and musician Bruce Fairburn. Fairburn. Fairburn died unexpectedly of a heart attack at age 49 during the final recording and mixing sessions of Yes. The latter known for... Whoa, whoa, whoa. See, you're messing it up right there. They, he was mixing, the, it was doing the final recording and mixing sessions of Yes is the latter. 
Got there, it. There's a period. Got it. That's the album name. Got it. Yes is the band. The latter is the album. Okay. All right, anyways. Known for his punctuality, concerns were raised when he failed to turn up at the studio on time. After two and a half hours without an answer, Anderson and studio receptionist and manager Cheryl Preston drove to Fairburn's apartment, broke in after they found an untouched tape on his doorstep, and discovered his body in his bed. His passing was a shock to everyone involved, ending tentative discussions to work with the band again on future projects. And after Yes took a short break, they regrouped and completed the production and mixing duties with Mike Plucknickum. The latter was then mastered at Sterling Sound Studios in New York City in May 1999. At Fairburn's funeral service held on May on twenty fourth, May twenty fourth, May twenty fourth, Anderson and Howe performed an acoustic version of Nine Voices, Long Walker, Long Walker, a song that Anderson recalled touched Fairburn's personally and was a favorite of his. Yes, subsequently dedicated the latter to Fairburn. He was an he was active as a producer from nineteen seventy six to nineteen ninety nine. And is considered one of the best of his era. Here is his produ- production discography. 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 Nineteen seventy-seven. Prism. Self-titled. Went platinum. Nineteen seventy-eight. Prism. See forever eyes. Platinum. Nineteen. Also nineteen seventy-eight. Prism. Live tonight. Nineteen seventy-nine. Prism. Prism. Armageddon. Two times platinum. Nineteen eighty. Prism. Young and restless. 1980, Loverboy, two, Lover two times platinum. That was Loverboy's uh, subtitled album. I think it's the one that's got uh, uh, The Kid Is Hot Tonight or something like that on there. 1980, The Skids, Days in Europa, second version. 1981. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. This is the one that's got, <laughs> I was wrong. The first Loverboy's got The Kid Is Hot Tonight on it. Okay. This one, anyways, 81. Lover Boy, Get Lucky, four times platinum. 1982, Strange Advance Worlds Away. 1982, Kasim, Sultan, Kaz, Kasim. I say it's Kasim, but hey, whatever. 1983, Blue Oyster Colts, The Revolution by Night. 1983, Lover Boy, Keep It Up, two times platinum. 1984, Crocus, The Blitz, That Went Gold. 1984, Fast forward, living in fiction. 1985, black and blue without love. 1985, honeymoon suite, the big Pete prize. 1986, Bon Jovi, slippery when wet, went 12 times platinum. That's the album that contains the tracks of You Give Love a Bad Name, Living on a Prayer, Wanted Dead or Alive. 1987, Aerosmith, permanent vacation, that went five times platinum. That album there consists of songs Ragdoll, Dude Looks Like, Looks like a Lady, and the Tyler track. 19- also, it has an angel on there. Sorry. That's okay. All right. 1987, Rock and Hide Under the Volcano. 1987, Lover Boy, Wild Side. That one went gold. 1988, Dan Reed Network, self-titled. 1988, Bon Jovi, New Jersey. That one went seven times platinum. That album there has uh, Bad Medicine on it, 
gosh, I'm going blank now. All of a sudden, I should have wrote all these down. Anyways, that's their next album right after. Uh, I think if if I die for you is on there too, if I remember right. Um, and also lay your hands. Anyways, nineteen eighty nine Aerosmith's Pump that went seven times platinum. That has, uh, I believe, that's the one that's got Janie's got a gun and loving an elevator on it. Nineteen eighty nine Stairway to Heaven, Highway to Hell. And that's the CD and the album we just barely got. LP we just barely got a few week, episodes ago. Yes, it is. 1989, Gorky Park, their self-titled album. Obviously, he did that right for the Stairway to Heaven, Highway to Hell. And again, they had their uh, remake of uh, My Generation on there. And they were a Russian band. Anyways, moving on. 1990, ACDC, The Razor's Edge. That one went five times platinum. That album there has got the mainly the biggest song everybody that's still big today is the uh, Thunderstruck. 1990, Paul Lane, Stick It In Your Ear. 1990, Poison, Flesh and Blood. That one went three times platinum. You know what songs were on that one that were hits? No? No. Unskinny Bob. Oh. Something to Believe In. Life Goes On. Uh, Flesh, or Fire and Ice, sacri- Fire and Ice Sacrifice, Flesh and Blood. And uh, I think that's it. <laughs> Okay. I think. Oh, no, no. Uh, Ride the Wind. Okay. Anyways, 1991, Del Reed Network, The Heat. 1991, ACDC Live, three times platinum. 1993, Aerosmith, Get a Grip, seven times platinum. Now, Get a Grip. I oh, God. That's the one with, I don't remember what's all on that one. So, I I think that's the one that's got Living on, Living on the Edge on it, if I remember right. Also in 1993, Scorpions, Face the Heat, that one went gold. 1994, Jackal, Push Comes to Shove, went gold. 1995, Van Halen, Balance, that one went three times platinum. 1995, Chicago, Night and Day, Big Band. 1996, The Cranberries, To the Faithful Departed, that one went two times platinum. 1997, In Excess, Elegantly Platinum. Wasted. Oh my gosh. Nineteen ninety-seven noise therapy cyclops. Nineteen ninety-eight kiss psycho circus that went gold. Now psycho circus is the album uh for kiss fans as the uh reunion album. That's it was the album that brought Ace and Peter Ace Freely and Peter Chris back into the band, and the band went full makeup again. And actually have been full makeup since. Okay. 1998, all right, go ahead, I'm sorry. 1998, Atomic Fireballs, Torch This Place, was his last fully completed project. Right, so this is the last, this album here is the last one he completely cuts from beginning to end. And then, of course, 1999's Yes, The Ladder. And in 2009, Charlie McCoy, Roy Clark, and Barbara Mandrell were all included into, inducted. all inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. Well, that was a pretty good uh, history week, or history day. Yes, it was. For, for today. Anyways, today we want to say happy birthday to these people who are born on this day. In 1949, Andrew Latimer, frontman for the prog rock band Camel, is born in Guildford, Surrey, England. Pop singer Keith is born James Barry Kiefer. Kiefer. In Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. 
Bill Brufford, drummer of Yes, King Crimson, is born in Seven Oaks, Kent, England. 1959, Iron Maiden's original, links, original lead singer, Paul Diano, Di- is born in London, England. And in 1969, Alan Doyle, Canadian musician and actor, best known as the lead singer of the Canadian folk rock band Great Big C. We want to give a big happy birthday to all these guys, all these people. Happy birthday for Muse and Abuse. Last week in music news. May 9th, an open conclusion has been recorded by the investigating coroner in, in regard to the death of Keith Flint, the prodigy senior who died by hanging in March. Despite the band describing the musician as having, and I quote, took his own life, end quote, in their confirmation of death, coroner Caroline Beasley Murray said Wednesday, May 8th, that the circumstances gave insufficient evidence for it to be conclusively deemed a suicide. The report was noted by the Halstead Gazette, a publication with headquarters less than 10 miles from where Flint was found dead in his home in Essex, England, on March 4th, and echoed by The Guardian. And I quote, I have considered suicide, but I did not, didn't find there was su- sufficient evidence for that, end quote, Beasley, Beasley Murray explained. The quote again, was he larking around and it all went horribly wrong? On the balance of probabilities, I am going to record an open verdict, end quote. In a statement reproduced by the NME, Beasley Murray, who is the senior coroner for Essex, further defended the findings, and I quote, I would have to have found that. Mr. Flint formed the idea and took a deliberate action knowing it would result in his death. Having regarding, regard to all the circumstances, I did, don't find that there's enough evidence for that, end quote. Mental, mental health struggles affect everyone. Don't be afraid to ask for help if you need it. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline offers free and confidential help and can be reached at 1-800-273-8255. Station break. May is actually Mental Health Awareness Month, too. Well, I did not know that, so <laughs> thank you for pointing that out. All right. May 10th, John Lennon's personal copy of the Beatles Yesterday and Today LP that sparked outrage because the cover shows a graphic nature known to collectors and Beatle fans as the Butcher cover has sold over has sold for a whopping two hundred and thirty three thousand five hundred and eleven dollars. Whoa. <laughs> NME said it was the third highest price ever paid for a vinyl recording. The Beatles later replaced the artwork on Yesterday and Today, a patch, a patched together 1966 compli- compli- compilation from Sh- Capitol Records, but not before a number of copies made their way onto store shelves with the group dressed in butcher smocks with raw meat and mangled dolls. An anonymous American collector purchased Lennon's copy at the Beatles Story Museum in Liverpool during a general sale of its merchandise. He considered, and I quote, an an investment believing it will increase in value in years to come, end quote. A spokesman for Julian's auctions told NME. The album hung on the wall of Lennon's New York apartment until he gave it to an avid Beatle fan 
and collection named Dave Morrill. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be collector, but my bad. It's believed to be the only copy that features three Beatles signatures. Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr also signed it. Australian photographer Robert Whitaker's original image was meant as a commentary on the U.S. label's treatment of the band's recordings. They re- the reworked album, which featured a picture of the group gathered around a piece of luggage, was said to be the only Beatles album that lost money for capital. And I quote, the market is still developing, so we anticipate in the next five years, this same record could bring $500,000 plus, end quote, Julian's Auctions president Darren Julian noted. And I quote, this was a world record for a Beatles butcher cover and the third highest price paid for vinyl, end quote. Star's copy of the White Album was auctioned for $790,000 in 2015, reportedly making it the most expensive vinyl recording ever. Holy cow. Save the break for a minute. And right there, uh, that's actually Regal Star's copy of the White Album. So obviously, there there's multiple different versions of of yesterday, yesterday, what is it? yesterday and today out there. You have the butcher cover, then you have the remake or the the laid over butcher cover where where they laid over the top of the butcher cover that photo with them with the luggage. So there's there's I see ones out there where you can find it. And people have either peeled that off to get the original butcher cover back out. Or if you hold up to light, you can actually see the butcher butcher cover part coming through as the older pieces get together. Now, there's other ways to tell. Like, I think our copy, if I remember, I think our copy has that same fold over look that it could in- be actually include the butcher cover. Oh, okay. I th- it, it's not 100% sure. I'm not going to go tear off the cover just to find out. But... Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So that is interesting. But yeah, um, just for the fact, I mean, you know, they're looking that that, that same record in the next five years could be at least half over half a million dollars is crazy, which means that you know, Star's copy of the White Album could be well over a million. Holy cow! That you know? yeah, that goes for a lot of money. Right. May eleventh, Demi Lovato has signed with Scooter Braun for management. Braun's SB Projects is home to a roster of more than two dozen music acts, including. Justin Bieber, Ariana Grande, Dan and Shay, Zach Brown Band, and Tori Kelly, among others. He launched the company in 2007. May 12th, Tim McGraw and Ben Affleck were among the sons, husbands, and dads paying tribute to moms on Mother's Day, celebrated here in the United States today, May 12th. May 13th, Pink's Hurts to be Human on course for a third week at the official Albums chart top spot. May 14th, Reba McIntyre and Brooks and Dunn have added new dates to their Las Vegas residency for the coming winter. McIntyre, Kix Brooks, and Ronnie Dunn are preparing for the first leg of their Las Vegas residency shows this summer. Reba, Brooks, and Dunn together in Vegas takes place at Caesars Palace, Caesars Palace Coliseum. With the high demand for their summer shows, the trio have added select dates this December. The additional shows scheduled 
for from December 4th through December 14th will go on sale to ge- to the general public beginning Friday, May 17th at noon Pacific time. McIntyre, Brooks and Dunn kicked off the initial dates of their Vegas residency in June of 2015. And the show's per- proved so successful that they have extended it into each subsequent year. The upcoming shows will feature a set of list filled with over 30 of their hits with a backing band of 10 members from both their bands. Since their residency debuted 2015, the trio have played 82 shows to over 300,000 fans in Sin City. After the initial summer run in Vegas, McIntyre will perform select headlining shows throughout the United States through September before heading back to Vegas for the second part of the residency. The new, the eight new 2019 dates going on sale today, May 17th at noon Pacific time, which is also 3 p.m. Eastern. That gives you an idea. So those of you that listen to the show first thing in the morning today, you have a chance to jump on these. Here is the shows that have been added. December 4th, Las Vegas at Coliseum. Okay, we know these are all at Las Vegas. Okay, I should have Caesar's Palace. So you got, she just said December 4th. You got December 6th. December 7th. December 8th. December 10th. December 11th. December 13th. December 14th. Previously announced summer dates on sale now. Are June 26th. June 29th. 28th. Sorry, 28th. June 29th. July 3rd. July 5th. July 6th. Tickets start at $59.95. That's $59.95. And are available via Ticketmaster in person at the Coliseum at Caesar Palace Box Office or by calling 866-320-9763. All shows start at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time or local time for Vegas. May 15th. Crocs have been the long standard bearer in unflattering footwear and a universal symbol for giving up on life. Thus, Kiss have now made a signature croc because they there was literally nothing else the band could slap a logo on. Okay, sidebar for a minute. And they, they're not joking here. I mean, they're dead serious. No, there is nothing else really for the band. I mean, they've made Kiss coffins. They've made, you know, pinball machines, uh, lunch boxes, stickers, chewing gum, you know, comic books with their bloody on their first issue. You know, all this, they they pretty much slapped the Kiss brand on everything. Except for Crocs. Please continue. A classic Croc clog can cost as little as $23.99, but with Kiss logo on the front, $45, please. <laughs> Ain't luck. that the friggin' truth. But that's not all. If you're feeling a little fiery, fans can grab Kiss Crocs blazing with flames and the classic members' faces on them for 50 bucks. Holy cow. But a rainbow logo. Well, well, you know. But even that's not all. If you're feeling groovy, Kiss also offered a multicolored croc with a rainbow logo and acid trip soles. 
you'll get the guy's faces on this croc and a swell purple ankle band to boot. Just 50 bucks. But even that's not all. If you're craving the comfort of crocs, but also wish to live in constant fear of breaking your ankles, you can grab platform kiss clogs. These works of art lift your aching toes a full 1.5 inches off the ground. There is no way the ants swarming your kitchen floor can bite your busted feet now. And they're just $55, not including shipping and handling. Seriously. Kiss Crocs. <laughs> yeah, that, that, oh my gosh. That, I applaud you, Gene Simmons. Yeah. I'm sorry, I applaud you, man, because uh, you are definitely the one of the biggest freaking capitalists in the world. I applaud you. I really do. I really do. You and you know to to slap the kiss name, logo, faces on everything in the world that's out there. I am really shocking you haven't created a pyramid yet. I really am. Or oh wait, you know what they, they don't have? They don't have a kiss casino yet. Well, hey, you never know. <laughs> But they do have a Kiss Mini Golf Course somewhere. Oh, wow. All right. Anyways, enough of the news. Holy crap. Hey, let's get on to what, 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 well, what really wasn't purchased this week, but it showed up this week. Right? Yes, it did. So we got some uh, new music purchases. Well, we considered it this week, even though it wasn't bought this week, but you know what we mean. Because we don't consider it as having it in our hot possession until we receive it. So, music purchases this week eBay Hot Mama Vinyl. By the way, that is the name of the the uh, store. Anyways, May fourth, two thousand nineteen is when these were bought. Final record. Plus, she had to wait for shipping, so that's why we're doing it now because we just barely got them in. Anyways, as she said, final record. Mary Travers, Mary. Now, before I go into the release, this was actually well, it was released February nineteen seventy one. Now, uh, this is the Peter Paul and Mary the group released their first solo albums. Peter released, you know, obviously Peter, Paul, Paul, and, and then Mary. So it's kind of like, you know, so it kind of all goes together. So we had two of them from Ed or Lost and we're like, okay, we have to find it. <laughs> yes, we do. And now we've got all three of them. Right. What's the next one? Sweethearts of the Rodeo. Released 1986. This is a country outfit from back in the eighties. Uh, uh, one of the gals in it is Janice Gill, who uh, who married Vince Gill. Unfortunately, they've recently been been divorced for a while. Um, all right, well, next one is kind of happy I get to say this one. RSO Chart Busters released in 1979. This one's really cool because this one I actually did have on vinyl back in the day. This was, and I'm emphasizing, was a sealed copy. <laughs> but this is pretty much a lot of the RSO hits from that era. So you've got uh, Grease, the Grease song by Frankie Va- Vanelli, Va- Vanelli? Valens, Frank- Not Valens. Va- yeah. Vanelli, I think you're right. Um, Shadow Dancing by Andy Gibb. There's uh, Baby Come Back by Player. Uh, Making It by uh, Senior and Actor David Naughton. Those of you who don't know who David Naughton is, if you've seen the movie American Werewolf in London, He's the one that turns into the werewolf throughout the movie. Anyways, I had this back in the day, back in the day on LP. 
used to listen to it and was happy I actually found a sealed copy for real cheap, $5 and something. And so, of course, once we got it and I opened it up because you know what? That's what it's for. They're for to listen. They're not for to keep all oh, look pretty. Anyway, the last one. Neil Diamond, the jazz singer, original songs from the motion picture. And if you're familiar with this album, it has his song, when America. When was it released? It was released November 15th, 1980. Right. And it's, yeah, it's one of the biggest songs on there is the song America. America. Now, the cool part about these is, is, uh, our the chart bunch has cost us the most money. Yeah. The other ones were only like $2.97. Yeah. So we, you know, picked them up off of eBay and, uh, ended up being a uh, outfit out of New York called Hot Mama Vinyl. Uh, they they are also on Facebook. So if you just search out Hot Mama Vinyl, you know you can go and follow them, give them a, a like, and and uh, you know if you want, tell them that we sent you. Tell them using the Music Music Podcast sent you. They will under, They will not understand why. But there is an accompanying video for this that was supposed to be put up. Uh, I want to say. Tuesday. However, it didn't make it up yet, so I'm hoping to have it up. Hopefully, it'll be up. Hopefully, it's up on Thursday. Yeah. Hopefully, it was up on Thursday, so you at least had a day early to see it, so you can at least see them um, again. That'll be on our YouTube page, using abused a music podcast. Anyways, that was what, that was a good week in music purchases, in our opinion. Now, for some, you may not be. But for us, it is a great music purchase because there's at least the Sweethearts, RSO, and the Neil Diamond for sure. I'm not really sure about Mary Travers but because I've never heard of her. I, I mean, the only song I knew by Peter, Paul, and Mary was Puff and Magic Dragon. Yeah. But anyways, well, let's get on to our main topic, and that is the Parents Music Resource Center, also known as the PMRC and the Washington Wives. Your last warning. This portion of the show will be explicit in content and not suitable for children under the age of 18. And anyone who is offended by language, topics about sex, drugs, alcohol, and Satanism. Satanism. Or, or occult. Consider yourselves warned. Okay, so this is your moment to... Stop it if you're listening with your kids. Because at this point here, my mouth, I can guarantee, will not be withheld. The Parents Music Resource Center, PMRC, formed in 1985 around the collective outrage of four women known for their ties to Washington political life. Founding members, Susan Baker, wife of then-Treasury Secretary James Baker, Tipper Gore, wife of Senator a then-senator and then eventually future Vice President Al Gore, Pam Hauer, wife of realtor Raymond Hauer, who was, who was active in the Republican Party, and Sally Nevis, wife of Washington City Council Chairman John Nevis, who was appointed the Washington City Council Chairman by President Richard Nixon, had become disturbed by Prince, Madonna, and other music their kids were listening to. Gore had become personally aware of the, of the availability of porn rock when her 11-year-old daughter 
I'd say Karina. Karina bought Prince's Purple Rain because she liked the song Let's Go Crazy. Oh, my gosh. When mother and daughter listened to another song on the album, Darling Nikki, which described a girl masturbating with a magazine in a hotel lobby, Gore was astounded. Her concerns were largely based on her background as a psychologist who was aware of children's vulnerability to the media influences. Oh, my. Sidebar. Gosh. First of all, let's go ahead and let's go over the lyrics real quick of the, at least the opening lyrics of Darling Nikki. I met a girl named Nikki. I guess you could say she was a sex fiend. I met her in a hotel lobby, masturbating with a magazine. Okay. But I want to say this. Purple Rain, the Purple Rain soundtrack, Purple Rain, the movie. The movie is rated R. So, first of all, if you're, as a parent, if you're not paying attention to, first of all, you can buy Let's Go, let's, let's do this right. She likes the song Let's Go Crazy. Why didn't she buy the 45? Exactly. The 45 was available back then. Yeah, it was. Instead, she buys a whole album. Okay. Then <laughs> Mrs. Gore and her daughter were sitting there listening to the full album. And uh, I was trying to remember how, how, how the song tracks go because I know that song is not right there. But, you know. You're listening to this album. You hear Let's Go Crazy. Obviously, that's the biggest hit. That's the hit at the time off this album. Okay. Then you have a song called Take Me With You. Then one called The Beautiful Ones. Then Computer Blue. And then the final track on side one of the LP would be Darling Nikki. How you did not get sexual sexual overtones with the first album? (laughs) Is beyond me. And to be upset over this, I don't know. I mean, as a parent, I would say, and maybe this is differently, you know, different. I mean, obviously that their era was, you know, Elvis, the Beatles, you know, maybe they didn't quite listen to mute, you know, understand, but I don't know. Ah! I, I have a hard I have a hard time with this because it's like, okay, so you got one song, okay, but then she didn't even listen to. I don't even think because it's never it's never mentioned by her that did she even listen to the second side of the album? Yeah, that's a question. You know, like when doves cry, I mean, I'm sure she would have had a heart attack over that one. Oh, I'm sure. Anyways, but her daughter goes and buys the album Purple Rain. Now, a lot of there's been a lot of misquotes over the year. Or not misquotes, but a lot of ways of quoting. I mean, people have gone off and said, "Oh, Dar-, you know, she, her daughter bought the the album, Dar- the Prince's album, Darling Nikki." Well, no, that's not an album. That was a song on the album, a preparing the soundtrack. My problem is, is I think if you are actually looking at the song tracks, you know, again, if she would have looked at them as a mother before, daughter whipped right, you know, opened it right up. I think she could have said, eh, maybe I should listen to this before I let my 11-year-old listen to this. Just saying. You know, I mean, I I would assume I would, you know, if if I was in that era, I would do this. I don't think I would have freaked out. I'd have been like, oh, suck. Okay. 
Uh, let me listen to the rest of this before I let you listen to the album by yourself. Anyways, yeah, this is where I'm going to have them. I'm trying, you know, I know we gave the warning, and I am trying to really, I'm doing it, I'm trying to refrain myself. Obviously, we're going to be quoting lyrics, we're going to be quoting things, so it obviously it's hard to, uh, you know, you, you have to give that warning, and that's the reason why. But, okay, so th- she's freaking out over this song. So, after after this happened, Mrs. Gore was chatting with Mrs. Baker about the situation when Mrs. Baker stated, and I quote, my daughter said, Mama, what's a virgin? And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, Madonna sings this song like a virgin. Touched for the very first time. What's a virgin? I was speechless. Here she was still playing with dolls at seven, end quote. Okay, now as, far, now as we, we, as you'll hear in the um, eventual here in the Senate hearings, not on this episode, but on the, up on, a, on the next, probably the next episode, you will hear her say that her daughter wasn't buying music at the time. Uh, she was just listening to it on her clock radio. Okay, so here's my question for Mrs. Baker. Why is there a clock radio in your seven-year-old's room? No, that is not my question. No, I mean, no, no. No, because, I mean, at seven years old, I was listening. I mean, Crud, at seven years old, man, I was, I was listening to you. That's the way I like it, by frigging KC the Sunshine Band. That's true, you were. They tell me that song ain't sexual. Oh, yeah, that is. You know, or, uh, God, what was another one by KC? Uh, uh, shake Your Booty. Yeah. Uh, or Shake, Shake, Shake. Shake, 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 shake your booty. Yeah. Um, and, uh, boogeyman, I'm your boogeyman. That's what I am. Yeah, okay. I'm here to whatever I can, be it early morning. You know what I mean? Yeah. Come on. Like, those weren't sexual. Yeah, I know. Okay, what is your question you'd ask Miss ba- Mrs. Baker? Well, my question to Mrs. Baker would be is, why wouldn't you want to explain to your daughter what her virgin was? I mean, she's seven years old. Big deal. So you got to teach her a little bit about the birds and the bees. You know? I mean, at seven years old, too early to be talking about the birds and the bees? I mean, let me ask you. Let me ask you from a, from a, uh, uh, I guess the Mormon contingent. <laughs> we all know you're, 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 you know, that you're, I mean, you lived in the church your whole life. Yes, I did. Okay, because I, I can tell you this much. The minute my mom and dad found out, I was like, I was a friend. Some friends had some Playboys and stuff like that. And this was, you know, obviously when I was in Oregon, you know, roughly around between seven to 10 years old, you know, and I was looking at Playboys for the first time. My mom and dad went, got, went to the library, got a sex book or a sex education book, and we had the Butters and the Bees talk. Literally. So, I'm just like, you're, from your point of view, you know, being a seven-year-old girl and thinking of your parents, do you think, would your parents have freaked out about this song or would they have had, they, would they have uh, gone on and explained to you what a virgin was? They wouldn't have freaked out with it. No, they would have gone on and explained to me what a virgin was because in our household, that subject was an open book. It was constantly okay. discussed. All right. So here we are. Two instances. Again, you know, 
her daughter's asking her where a, a virgin is, and she's speechless. Instead of taking this opportunity to explain the birds and the bees. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's move on. Together with two other prominent conservative housewives, Pam Hauer and Sally Nevis, Tipper formed the Parents Music Resource Center, or also known as the PMRC, and they compiled the Filthy 15, a list of songs they found most objectionable. Prince topped the list. Go figure. Yeah, exactly. The PMRC lobbied hard and rallied support among PTAs in school. By August 1985, 19 record companies had agreed to put parental guidance, explicit lyrics, labels on certain albums. The PMRC even devised its own porn rock rating system with an X for profane and sexual explicit lyrics, O for occult references. Satanism. Satan, yeah. DA for lyrics about drugs and alcohol. And V for violent content. Cindy Lauper's song She Bop, for example, had the PMRC's knickers in a twist because of the suggestive lyric about picking up good vibration. All right. <laughs> <coughs> all right so let, let's talk about it. I do apologize for coughing. Um, first of all, if we're looking to go for a rating system, why don't we just go G, PG, PG? Well, PG 13 wasn't live back then yet. G, PG, and R, and NC 17 or something. Yeah, exactly. You know, why, why do we have to have this X for profane and sexually explicit lyrics? O for the occult references were better known as Satanism. D slash A for lyrics about drugs and alcohol. Now, okay. Now, this is one of the fucking problems I have. And there I go. I finally said it. This is one of the fucking problems I have with the PMRC. They're attacking the pop rock, the rock music, the pop artists of the day, rap artists and whatnot, right? But where are they freaking attacking fucking country? I country music seems nothing but about fucking alcohol use. I know. I know. I know. I'm surprised I went with it. <laughs> but, you know, seriously. Well, I agree with you. I'm not disagreeing at all. I mean, God, man, you get a country song. It's all about, you know, oh, I'm sitting at the bar getting drunk because my old lady left. My truck got four flat tires. My damn dog died. Yeah, I know. I know. Yet, hey, we're going to smack up She-Bop. We're going to smack up Darling Nikki. We're, you know, and there's other songs that you're going to smack up with friggin' drug and alcohol use. Yeah, I know. Where the fuck was goddamn country? I know. Because you know what? Country music should be on this damn list. I'm not disagreeing with you in I mean, any way, shape, if, or form. But oh, no, 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 no. We're, we're just attacking rock. I mean, really, when it, comes, when it boils down to this list of 15, besides the, some of the pop songs on here, most of it is rock. Yeah. It's all about rock and roll. And we're going to start this off right here. Here are those. Here is their filthy 15. That they, they, the PMRC recommended to be banned. We're also going to give you their presumed subject matter. In other words, what they, the PMRC, presumed was the song about. Okay? So we're, we're going to give you the fifth, filthy 15. We're going to start at 15 and go down to number one. 15, Cindy Lauper, She Bop, Sex Masturbation. 
you, you could argue that Lauper was following in the grand tradition of female singers such as Bessie Smith, who were being suggestive back in the 20s. Some 60 years later, Cindy Lauper offered the PMRC with her innuendo full lyrics such as, and I quote, I want to go south and get me some more. They say I better stop or I'll go blind, end quote. And the lewd video that accompanied the song Shebop. That wasn't a lewd video? Yeah, I didn't think the video was lewd at all. Damn. The song, the song about self-pleasuring was a catchy hit. As Lopper noted, sex sells in the music industry, and I quote, it was a scandal. I brought shame above upon my family, end quote, she said with a smile. So, Shebop said, yes, yes, we discussed it when we talked about it. Yeah, we did. You know, but then again, I remember back in 1983, 84, when I first heard it, yeah, I didn't think of that. I didn't either. That is like, I thought it was about dancing. I did too. Be honest with you. I mean, I didn't take, oh, damn. Oh, oh she talked about masturbating herself? Yeah. I, I didn't take it that far. I didn't either. I thought it was some sort of a dance Mainly because, song. you know what? The reason why is, because she talks about what is a, a Blue Boy magazine. Uh-huh. Right? Well, I didn't know what the hell Blue Boy magazine was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If she would have said Playgirl magazine, uh-huh. that would have told me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If, she would have, if those lyrics would have said Playgirl, yeah, you would have known. Yeah. But I didn't know. I mean, the only people, I mean, I don't even wear heck. I have to look up to see if the Blue Boy magazine was even real or not. Yeah. You know? But anyways. Okay. So number 15, obviously. We, we, oh, by the way. And we're going to give you a tally at the end of this of how many sex songs are on what they consider were sex songs and how many of them are on here. And then I'm going to give you my input, which is not very good input. So we'll, we'll just go with that. All right. Number 14, Venom. The song is Possessed. Ocklet. Or Satanism. The album Possessed was released on April Fool's Day in 1985. What a day to release an album. Hell yeah. And the title track was one of deliberately, presumably 13 songs. The lyrics, I drink the vomit of the priest slash make love with the dying whore. Yes! We're currently unpleasant and landed the band on the filthy 15 list. And I quote, it was by no means the most controversial song I wrote, end quote said frontman Kronos. The album incidentally was recorded in a quaint Sussex village whose claim to fame was being the subject of a surreal Spike Milligan sketch about victims of the plague suffering from burnt trousers. Okay, first of all, Venom. Okay, let's, let's go back. 1985. Benham was not on MTV. Benham was not getting radio play. No. Benham is one of those bands where I consider them to be, you know, they're like Metallica in the early 80s, where there are small groups that follow them. Yeah. You know, where where they're they're not mainstream. There's a small contingent of fans that like them. So for them to even pull this one out of their System, <laughs> trying to be nice. <laughs> Means somebody, and I'm not just meaning the four members. Okay, by now, by this, by here, you gotta realize they 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 got Ed of Washington wives involved. They got all these extra freaking people involved in this bullshit. 
Okay. Yet, someone had to go digging on this. Yeah, they did. I mean, I, honestly, somebody had to go out there and just start, start buying every damn album and go, oh, look, it's got lyrics. Oh, oh my gosh. Because, I'm sorry, I drink the vomit of the priest, make love with the dying whore. Yeah. Where the hell does that say anything about, about Satanism? I mean, yeah. just because you vomit, I drink the vomit of the priest. Well, who gives up? You're just a sick mother frigger in my book. Yeah. Anyways, number 13, Mary Jane Girls in My Home. According to PMRC, this song's about sex. In My House was written and arranged by Rick James and recorded by American girl group Mary Jane Girls for their album Only For You. The so-called explicit lyrics were lines such as, and I quote, I'll satisfy you every... Your every need. And every fantasy you think up, end quote. Singer JoJo McDuffie said... McDuffie. McDuffie said that the song was just, and I quote, making an innuendo purposely and tastefully because Rick wanted the song to be played on the radio, end quote. Okay, so the lines that get this one nailed are, I'll satisfy your every need and every fantasy you think of. So what, so what the hell is wrong with this that it needs to be on the filthy, filthy 15, yet I can't get no satisfaction by the Rolling Stones is cool? Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. Um, All Shook Up by Elvis Presley's cool. Yeah. Uh, stuck on to you. Yeah. Gonna stick like glue. Yeah. Because I'm stuck, stuck on to you. you. Yeah. Yeah, it ain't sexual. Yeah. The, oh, wow. Okay. So anyways, number 12. Black Sabbath trashed drug and alcohol use. Lyrics about driving after drinking a bottle of tequila would make any sensible person worried. But singer Ian Gillen said that Trask was, in fact, about how he had crashed drummer Bill Ward's car during an alcohol-fueled race around the grounds of the recording studio. He claimed that, that the real purpose of the song was to act as a warning against driving under the influence. The band admitted that accompanying that the accompanying video was intentionally lewd. Okay, see, this is the problem with the Filthy 15. Are they Filthy 15 because of the videos or because of the lyrics? Yeah, that's the question I got because it's like, okay, the, I mean, what? I mean, yes, okay, there are lyrics about driving after or drinking a bottle of tequila. Okay, and how many times did, you know, a country artist not sing about getting drunk at the damn bar and then driving home? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I'm, I'm going to shut up. Go ahead. Merciful fate into the coven. Oh, wait, wait. Right back to that black. Okay, first of all, Black Sabbath trash. Black Sabbath back in 85, 83, 84, whenever this album came out, that had this song trashed on it, right? Okay, the problem is this. One, Ian Gillen. I don't even know who that. Honestly, I know of two lead singers for Black Sabbath. Ozzy and Ronnie James Dio. The only two I know of seniors of Black Sabbath. Okay. So, obviously, we're talking about a period of Black Sabbath's career where they were nobodies. Yeah, exactly. All right, anyways, let's go on to Merciful Fate because this is like back to the Venom stuff. Into the coven, and it's an occult. A, a, a cult? 
Yeah. Occult. What the hell? Satanism. Just say Satanism. Okay, Satanism. Oh, the song Into the Coven. My bad. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? Why aren't you saying anything? The song Into the Coven by a Danish heavy, heavy metal band. Dan- oh, there we go. A Danish, Danish heavy metal band, Merciful Fate, appeared on their album, Melissa. The PMRC claimed the song fostered an unhealthy interest in the occult with its plea to, and I quote, come into my coven and become Lucifer's child, end quote. The band said the song was just a musical horror story, and years later, senior King Diamond told Rolling Stone magazine, and I quote, the whole thing was just pathetic. We thought they must be really bored to have time for this. How they saw those songs said more about them than it did about us, end quote. Okay, so where... Well, well, I mean, I can understand. Let, let, let me, you know, this... Let me bring, let me suggest something, you Go know. Ahead. Oh, believe me, I've been waiting for you to. Where does come into my coven and become Lucifer's child even. That's Satanism. Even, well, yeah, it's Satanism. But who's not to say that back in the 80s, just like today, there was this big following for vampire movies. Dude, we love vampires back then. Yeah. I mean, Yeah. You know, to me, the song is stating it's the it's about vampires, which was one of the big things in the 80s. And it's still a semi big thing today. Anything else you like to add? No, (laughs) no, I mean, no. Why not? You got nothing else to add about that? Well, beside the fact that it's stupid. Did the Danish band ever perform over here in America? Yeah. How in the heck? Do they go and dig on a band that I'm sure has somebody's heard of, but personally I didn't, and dig Whoa, even deeper okay, that... Okay, well, let me huh. ask you... Let me, as I'm looking this up, let me ask you something. When was the first time you heard about the band Motley Crue? Well, I never heard about it until I got with you, but... Okay, when was the first time you heard about the band Poison? Oh, that's when I was with my friend. Okay, Aerosmith. My brother's. Okay. Um, okay. The album Melissa came out in 1983. And here are the songs. So here's the funny part here is you got a song called Evil, Curse of the Pharaohs, Into the Coven, which is the one we're talking about, At the Sound of the Demon Bell, Black Fun- Funeral, Satan's Fall, <laughs> and Melissa. Okay. And Since again, I mean, I, I can see what, I mean, I can see what they're digging. But the problem is, is, they're, when they're trying, the whole thing about this is it was this music was supposed to make our generation a bunch of murdering fools from the music. Okay, that doesn't make any sense to me, but that's okay. <laughs> All right, let's get to number ten. We only made it halfway, th- or not even halfway through. We're, we made it five through. This is gonna shock everybody on here. <laughs> Def Leppard is number 10 with high and dry for drug and alcohol use. Drug and alcohol references landed Def Leppard into trouble with the PMRC, especially for the lines. And I, and I quote, I got my whiskey. I got my wine. I got my women. And this time the lights are going out. End quote. The British rockers were bemused by the row 
declaring that they had no interest in people with, and I quote, closed minds, end quote. Amen. Def Leppard. <laughs> yes, I like that response. <laughs> and and when we, after we get done with the filthy, filthy, I want to point one thing out. I forgot to point out. But anyways, all right, number nine. I am definitely going to be talking about this one because this one's really funny. Okay. But, I mean, I, I will agree with this one being on here, and I will be, and I will agree that for it to be under the, the, their pretenses of it because uh, i mean the lyrics i mean i'll probably even go one out i'll probably read the whole all the lyrics while i'm looking them up real quick you know okay so number nine no, i'll read number nine i mean it's no big deal you know I but i mean the thing is it with def leopard right i mean it is they were they were searching you know they were they were searching they just wanted to make a list and they were searching for anything and everything at this point in time. Right. I mean, again, you're, you're okay. I got my whiskey. I got my wine. I got my wine. Okay. Well, again, you know what? Hey, guess what? That was also in, um, uh, in every goddamn country song back then. Well, yeah, it and, was. And, and, and still to today. So why, why do we not have, uh, parental advisory stickers on all the, all that stuff, you know? Yeah, exactly. All right. Anyways. So number nine, wasp. The band Wasp. Now this is this is funny because for the longest time, uh, some people would sit there because it was you know W dot A dot A dot S dot P dot. A lot of people like in my era, the kids in my era would sit there and say, "Oh, that means we are Satan's people." Just like you know, Kiss stands for uh, Nice and Satan's Service. Okay, but that's the shit they they would try to pull out. Okay, but then then the PMRC turned around and said that no, it means that they that Wasp stands for we are sexual perverts. Oh my gosh. Right. But anyways, they're the number nine song by Wasp, Animal, Fuck Like a Beast. Sex, obviously. Well, obviously it gives it away right there in the very in, in the very beginning. Fuck like a beast. There were claims that Wasp lead singer and guitarist Black Lawless wrote the song about seeing a photograph of lions mating in National Geographic magazine. Its title alone guaranteed its place on the PMRC hit parade. The band all used to introduce the song at concerts with the words, and I quote, well, this one is for Tipper Gore, end quote. Lawless also, also later became a born-again Christian and stopped performing the song live. So here we go. This is pretty much, here's the, the opening first lyrics. I'm not even going to go over the whole song. I'm going to give you the very first one. Actually, I mean, we will. It will go over all the, the verses. Uh, I got pictures of naked ladies lying on their beds. I whip that smell and sweet convulsion start, starts to swelling inside my head. I'm making artificial lovers for free. I start to howl I'm in heat. I moan and growl and the hunt drives me crazy. I fuck like a beast. Okay. Second verse. I'm on the prowl. I watch you closely. I lie waiting for you. I'm the wolf with the sheepskin clothing. I like my chops and you're tasting good. I do whatever I do whatever I want to where I want to to you. I'll know your ass to the sheets. A pelvic thrust and sweat starts to sting you. I fuck like a beast. Yeah. Yeah, it's about sex. Yeah, it is. I mean it says I right mean, there. I mean, I don't know where the hell I mean if if, if Blackie Laws ever claimed this was about and our Lions meeting that he saw in Neo National Geographic, he was full of it, man. Yeah, he I was. Mean, I mean, I'd say he's watching a damn porno. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I'll agree with this one. Yes, okay? Yeah, I, I mean, do too. But then again, the problem is, is besides, and, we're, and we'll go back over this list one more time, 
Because I'll tell you one thing right now. This song was not on the radio. This was not released as a single. They released an EP of it because Capitol Records said, no, you cannot put this on your first album. Yeah. They wanted this as track one on the first Wasp album. Well, yeah. And Capitol Records was like, no, you can't. Well, yeah. So they ended up releasing it as a EP with a song called So No Mercy. Yeah. So anyways, number eight. Madonna, Dress You Up, Sex. No list oh, I guess I of shocking songs from the 80s would be complete without Madonna. The one that got her on t- into hot water with the PMRC was Dress You Up from the album Like a Virgin. The song was composed by Andrea LaRusso and Peggy Stancil, who were who were described as two New Jersey housewives in newspaper reports. The lyrics, gun, and I quote, gonna dress you up in my love all over your oh, body, end quote, hardly seem explicit. And Madonna laughed off the row saying, and I quote, I'm sexy. How can I avoid it? End quote. <laughs> oh, I should remember hearing that song now. All right, number seven on this list is Twisted Sister, We're Not Gonna Take It. This one's on here for violence. Yeah. D. Snyder, the vocalist and songwriter of Twisted Sister's We're Not Gonna Take It, defended the song from allegations that it prompted violence. Ultimately, it reached number two on the Billboard charts. Snyder said, and I quote, it strikes me that the PMRC may have confused our video pre- presentation of the song with the meaning of the lyrics, it is no secret that the video often depict storylines completely unrelated to lyrics of the song they accompany. The video, we're not going to take it, was simply meant to be a cartoon with human actors playing the variations of Roadrunners, Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote theme. Each stunt was selected from my extensive personal collection of cartoons, end quote. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. I can't, I, honestly, on this one here, I'm just going to say this. I can't wait till you guys hear um, when we get to it, uh, either with next episode or the episode after, when we play D. Snyder's, uh, when he did the Senate com- committee hearing and he talked about some stuff. Because one of the other things that they also had attached for Twisted Sister was a song called Under the Blade, which D. Snyder had written for, uh, I believe, his guitarist who was going under the knife and was scared of surgery. Well, yeah. But. They had taken it as a sadomasochism type song. Oh my god! Because of certain lyrics, but it's funny because he does attack typical on that one. But it's funny, anyways. Number six, ACDC. Let me put my love into you, sex. Okay, first of all, first of all, real quick before I read this next part, right there and there, that song just says right. There, I mean, it, it yells sex at you. Yeah, it does. No, I mean, okay, so, but here's the funny part: is like some of these songs they weren't taken from. Other filthy, filthy 15, they're not all from 1985 or 84, 85. Some of them are even five years old, like 1980. Because let me put my love into you. A five year old tune from the Australian band ACDC from the album Back in Black stirred up a row between the band and the PMRC who said the lyrics, and I quote, Let me cut your cake with my knife, end quote, were profane. The band claimed the attempt to censor them was, and I quote, satanic intolerance end quote <laughs> oh my gosh that was the band saying the band saying that, that the pmrc was being satanic you know what and i'm and i oh man uh oh gosh i can't wait to number five 
But let me just, you know, real quick, you know, let, let's just look at it. You know, ACDC, you know, obviously, you know, it's off the album Back in Black, you know, which, uh-huh. of course, I don't have there. Why don't I have it? That's amazing. But anyways, you know, the album Back in Black itself, you know, I believe it was released in 1980. Yes, it came out in 1980, and this list was comprised of August, in August of around, you know, it was August of 1985. So five years after the song, and it's now on a list. It's been out for five freaking years. Yeah. Oh, no. All right. Number five. five. Motley Crue, Bastard, Violence. Okay, I'll agree. Again, I'll agree with this one. But we're going to, and this is some of the stuff we're going to try to look up to. Because I can tell you right now, Bastard was not a single. Bastard was not released off the album of Shout the Devil as a single. Shout the Devil is the second studio album by the U.S. heavy metal band Motley Crue. The song Bastard aroused controversy because of the violent lyrics about stabbing someone to death. However, the warning sticker just seemed to, to attract buyers. First of all, I had the only time I've seen a warning sticker on this album was in 19... 19- 1990 oh, oh it wasn't even 98 i don't think i've ever seen a warning sticker on this album yeah ever it didn't have one from back then and they didn't have one now but here's the thing is right senior vince neal said years later and i quote and not only did vince say this but also i know nikki said this too on vh1 but here's the quote from vince neal once you put that sticker on that parental warning sticker that album took off. Those kids wanted it even more. End quote. I can attest to this because I'll tell you one thing right now. When they start slapping them stickers on albums, those were the motherfuckers I was after. Because that just told me, guess what? That's something I need to hear. And the funny part is, is going through this, I when I was looking at the Senate committee hearings, um, the, the committee chairman actually brought that up because his 16-year-old daughter brought that up to him. Is it really a good idea? Because you got to realize, all they were saying is parental guidance. They weren't saying that these albums were banned for for a certain age group. It was just parental. So technically, all these uh, stores, oh, you got to be 18 to buy this, were actually full of crap or shit. Trying to block that. I mean, I was still, I mean, I was buying this stuff. I wasn't thinking, you know, oh, uh, let me see your ID, kid. I wasn't getting that. Here. Yeah. Here's my money. They didn't give a shit. Yeah, I know. But anyways, Bastard, I mean, there's two songs released as singles off of Child's Devil. Looks to Kill and Too Young to Fall in Love. Those are the two singles. Yeah. Bastard was not released as a single, but that's what we're going to go back over when we go over some of these is we're going to talk about them again, and I'm going to be pulling them up, looking at them, and saying whether or not these songs were actually released as a single at all. Well, yeah. And when they were released as a single. Anyways, number four, Kim. Vanity. Strap on. Robbie, baby, sex. Wild Animal was a debut solo album by Canadian singer Vanity, Denise Katrina Matthews, was released by Motown Records in November 1984. The sexually provocative lyrics, and I quote, if you want to glide down my hallway, it's open. Strap yourself in and ride, end quote, were written by her then boyfriend, Robbie Bruce. A few years later, she posed nude for Playboy and said she was and I quote, just putting all, just putting all of me out there, end quote. Before her death in 2016, age 57, she said she regretted 
being, and I quote, young and irresponsible, a silly woman laden with sin, end quote, and said that in later life, and I quote, seeking truth in Jesus Christ set me free, end quote. Number three. Judas Priest, Eat Me Alive, Sex. Judas Priest had been making albums for a decade by the time Defenders of the Faith came out. The song on the album that caused such a rumpus was Eat Me Alive with lyrics about a, and I quote, rod of steel, end quote, and a quote again, grown in the pleasure zone, end quote. Gore said the song advocated, and I quote, oral sex at gunpoint, end quote. The band responded in 1986 with a tune called Parental Guidance. That's on their album Turbo. Turbo. The band's founding guitarist, K.K. Downing, said that they wondered, and I quote, have we gone too far before deciding we were a metal band? We didn't sing about daffodils and roses, end quote. I like that quote. Amen. K.K. Downing. Yes. Sheena Easton. Number two. Yeah, Number two, Sheena Easton, Sugar Walls, Sex. Sugar Walls was from Scottish singers Sheena Easton's album, Private Heaven. Hey, we own that one. Yes, we do. And it was pretty obvious what she was getting at with the references to, and I quote, blood racing to private spots, end quote, and, and I quote, spending the night inside my sugar walls, end quote. The song was credited to Alexander, never mind, a pseudonym for Prince. The single had everything to rile the women of the PMRC at the time. Easton defended herself saying, and I quote, we are not embarrassed to be sexy when we want to be. Men have never had to apologize for being sexy. Art is all about being free. And if you don't like it, then tune into something else. End quote. Here, the funny part about that is, is here you got Sheena Easton, right? Sheena Easton, who's known, you know, by by this time, she's known for like for your eyes only. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know, the same and actually this the first song on this album is is strut. Uh-huh. Anyways, I just think it's funny. Yeah. All right, number nine. Uh, that's number one, babe. Number one. Number nine. I don't know what the hell I'm thinking. <laughs> number one, Prince, Darling Nikki, Sex Masturbation. Prince's song from Purple Rain was actually written from the standpoint of a boy who was trying to humiliate a girlfriend who starts working for a rival. It was a reference to a girl masturbating that particular enraged Tipper Gore. <laughs> Looking back on the road in 2004, Prince said simply, and I quote, Times were different back then, end quote. The album was certified 13 times platinum and has sold more than 25 million copies worldwide. So, what's on this list of 15, this nice little list of 15, how many of these songs are about sex? How many of them are really about sex? Anybody got a guess how many are about sex? Kim, do you have a guess about how many are about sex? Mm, probably maybe two, maybe three at the most. Four, five. There's actually nine of them about sex. Okay. Out of 15 songs, there are nine of them about sex. All right. There's only two about violence. Yes, there is. And only one. Two about two drug, drug and alcohol, alcohol use, use. And two about the Satanism. Yeah. But the rest of them are about sex. Yeah. Now, if I had to give my take about this problem, 
I would point out that obviously these Washington wives, these Washington women, weren't getting it at home. No, they weren't. So maybe if they were giving a little bit, giving a little attention at home, they would have, you know, they would have uh, maybe laid off the damn music industry, you know. But instead, I, I, it's just what I was pointing out. But what do you got? Anything else? Anything you got? No. You got you got nothing to add about this filthy fifteen. I just it just floors me on some of the songs that they put on here. Yeah, some of them are what they say, but some of them aren't. It sounds to me that every one of the songs and their f- reasons for putting the songs on this is their personal opinion. And that's all this list is made of, is their personal opinion. Right. It's not necessarily the opinion of other parents or other people. It's just theirs. And they were hell-bent on attacking anybody and everybody but country music in the industry. Right. So, we're going to start with Shebop again. Okay, Shebop was, you know, released as a single on July 2nd, 1984. So, there's one for singles. Uh, Venom, the possessed song, uh, actually wasn't even released as a single. So no singles from that album, you know? So there's one that wasn't released as a single in my house by the Mary Jane girls was released as a single October 84 trash by black Sabbath was from the album Born Again, so it was released as a single in nineteen in August of 83. Uh, Into the Cub and Merciful Fate. The only single released from this album is Black Funeral. So even that song that they chose was not a single. High, or High and Dry Saturday Night by Def Leppard is from the album High and Dry. And it was released July 11th, 1981. It was a single. Animal Fuck Like a Beast by Wasp. Of course, they show it as a sing- being a single because technically it was a 7-inch single, but it wasn't getting radio play. So, that I guess you can count it as a single, I guess, but I think it's fucking stupid. Well, yeah. Because I guarantee that some of a bitch was not being played on the radio. No, it wasn't. Uh, Dress You Up was released as a single. And like I said, the only reason why it was only released, reason why, actually, Take Away Wasp, because I don't think it's counted, because it was only released because of the fact that they were, uh, they only released it because the the record company wasn't going to put it out on the album like they wanted. Okay. So, I I don't consider that. Okay, so we'll put Wasp on this other hand as no single. Well, you don't don't have another hand for no single. You just got to have hands for singles. Okay. I don't care about no singles. Okay. Mean, obviously, we only got 15 songs to go, so whatever is not considered a single on this filthy 15. Yeah, you got I understand. So Dress Me Up by Madonna, was that a single? It was a single. Okay. That was Dress You Up, by the way. We're not going to take it. I can tell you it was a single. Okay. Um, Let me, yeah, let me put, yeah, it was Back in Black. 
was not released as a single off of Back and Black. The songs that were off of Back and Black that were released as a single, You Shook Me All Night Long, Hell's Bells, Back and Black, and Rock and Roll Ain't Noise Pollution. Bastard by Motley Crue. Again, the singles released off of this album were, oh, well, I'm sorry. Shout, they actually released Shout the, oh, was it, okay. So they released two promo singles, uh, Shout the Devil and the Motley Crue remake of the Beatles' Help Us Filter song. But the ones that got video play were Looks at Kill and Too Young to Fall in Love. So, uh, Vanity, Strap on Robbie Baby, was not even released as a single. Pretty Mess and Mechanical Emotion were only released, songs released off of that album. Judas Priest, Eat Me Alive off Defenders of the Faith. The songs that came off of this singles were Free Will Burning, Some Heads Are Gonna Roll, and Love Bites. Sugar Walls by Sheena Easton was a single. And Darling Nikki was not released as a single. So. Seven of the 15, fil- seven of the filthy 15 list were singles. The other eight were not. So you got. Oh my gosh. Eight of them were not singles. And seven of them were. And yet. So those eight really shouldn't have been made a list. No, they shouldn't have. In my opinion. I agree. Because it only should have been shit that was released on, you know, released. And I know we're running late. I know we're running over longer than what we normally run on this, on our show. So I do, we do apologize. But, you know, this is a very, I mean, I know I haven't gone as crazy as I thought I would. And that's probably because I'm trying to really hold myself in. But let's get away from the filthy 15. And in a 2015 Huffington Post article, Dee Snyder, lead singer of Twisted Sister, stated, and I quote, It was the summer of 1984. My band, Twisted Sister, was taking the world by storm. With our angst-filled teen anthem, We're Not Gonna Take It, we were dominating music radio and television airwaves and igniting the fire of rebellion in the hearts and minds of American youth. As we rode in our tour bus from town to town, playing show after show, Little did we realize that a culture, culture guillotine, guillotine awaited us. It was dead. It was dead in the middle of the Reagan era, and conservative powers held held sway over political, social, and economic arenas. This was no place for a bunch of painted up, foul mouth peering rockers. But as is usually the case, when conservatism reigns, the arts lean decidedly into the opposite direction, hence the nickname, the Decade of Decadence. Loud and very proud, things were clearly headed for an impasse, impasse, end quote. Snyder continued, and I quote, The blowback came in a surprising form. The Parents Music Resource Center, PMRC, quite an innocuous name for such a subversive minded group led by the car character like spouses of notable Democrat and Republican senators. It was hard to take the Stepford wives seriously, yet their mission to clean up the music industry by putting ratings on rock records, gar- gardenered hugs, Huge. 
huge media attention and created the illusion of an equal amount of public support, far from being the moral majority, the bullying majority. Minority. Minority. Good Lord. Made a lot of sense. And actually says this bullying minority made a lot of noise. Sense. They they were on a mission to paper train the nasty rockers polluting the country's airwaves and innocent <gasps> minds. My gosh, I didn't realize I'd be polluted. <laughs> By the summer of 1985, the PMRC censorship symphony had reached a crescendo and it was announced there would be an illegal Senate hearing to discuss the issue of porn, porn rock. rock. They didn't call they didn't call it illegal. I did. The forum of a Senate hearing is supposed to be used to collect and analyze information on the early in, stages in the early stages, in the early stages of legislative policy making. As the commitment committee as a committee chair Jesus Senator Christ. John Denforth Danforth Republican said in his opening remarks, and I quote, the reason for this hearing is not to promote any legislation, end quote. Still, somehow the wives of some pretty prominent physicians convinced their husbands that an exception should be made. One can only imagine the, and I quote, pillow talk, end quote, between Tipper and Al Gore. Democrat. Democrat or Susan and James Baker, Republican, Republican, that led to this misuse of public funds. And I quote, honey, Bonnie, could you arrange for me and my friends to have a teeny tiny Senate hearing? End quote. (laughs) Can you imagine? I guarantee that's probably how it happened. You know that? Yeah. I guarantee those two ladies right there. I mean, I don't give a fuck who the fuck I this can offend anybody because we're talking about both Republican and Democrat right now. Well, yeah. I guarantee both those women told their husbands, either we get it or you get no sex. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, but it's pretty easy to, I mean, I read right where D's going with that. Well, anyways, yeah. that's where we're going to stop on this episode. On the next episode, we'll talk about the Senate, the, as D Snyder called it, the illegal Senate hearing that was held September 19th, 1985. And here portions of that, of that hearing over the next few episodes. Um, we will be, you will be hearing the full testimony of Frank Zappa and all the questions and plus the questions that the senators asked him. You will hear the full testimony by D Snyder and the questions the senators asked him. And also you will also hear the testimony of the one person nobody expected to be there. And that was John Denver. And, the questions that were asked him by the senators. We will also at, at different points. You will also hear uh, different. Uh, we will play the PMR. We will play Tipper and uh, Susan Baker, Tipper Gore and Susan Baker's uh, remarks that they make before uh, Frank Zappa, John Denver and D Snyder talk. We will also uh, have, well, pretty much going to let you hear most of it. I'm just letting you know the whole thing itself is over five hours long. I'm going to cut it up pretty big. Um, there's a lot of stuff. Um, like when you watch it, you go and watch it on C-SPAN. They're, they're digging up. It's funny when, they, when they're digging up album covers and talking about some, they're digging up some bands like a band called Impaler. 
Okay, they were a San Francisco-based thrash band. And in 1983, 84, 85, they were definitely like Metallica. They were an underground, they were an unknown band to the masses. I mean, let's just kind of point it out like this. Metallica didn't release their first video, their first music video until uh, one off the, band, off the album and Justice for All. And I think that was in roughly 89. Yeah, that's, so, that's going into when the music finally changed over. Right. So, I mean, again, we're talking, you know, you're talking, you're, you know, you're talking these underground, you know, like suicidal tendencies. You know, they, a lot of them weren't given a lot of radio play. You know, yeah, when MTV switched over and had an MT, you know, Headbanger's Ball, a lot of these bands like Testament, Exodus, and Anthrax, all of them started making music videos, but most of them didn't in the beginning. Well, yeah. You know? And it was by word of mouth, you know. So and so, you know, this book, like a friend of mine had uh, Metallica's Kill 'em All album. Let me listen to it. And then I got, uh, in, and then I found their Ride the Lightning album. And then I got their Kill 'em All album. And then I got their Master of Puppets album. So that's how I got into Metallica. You know, again, these bands were, these bands were not well known. They weren't your, you know, even though Metallica was on Electra, Electra was not pushing them. No, they, I mean, they were pushing more Motley Crue than they were Metallica. Yeah, they weren't the like Metallica and Anthrax and the other one you mentioned were not mainstream bands at the well, time. Well, no, I mean Anthrax, they were on like Megaforce Records. Yeah, so, I mean, those are all kind of you know those are all like independent labels type thing. Well, yeah, so they weren't mainstream but, bands. Anyways, the biggest thing is I want you guys to hear some. I want you to hear these people in action. It, it's quite. I mean, I'm sorry to say, it, but it's comical. It's comical, but it's also the point where. If you could ever watch the video, search out D. Snyder's uh, part with the Senate hearing because he walks out there. I mean, literally long friggin' hair. He's got his long hair; it's all poofy out. He's wearing a tank top or a, a sleeveless t-shirt, jean, you know, cut jeans and stuff. And you know, but he goes in there with, with, uh, you know, obviously he's been educated. And one of the things I didn't put in this, um, and I will put it in the next one, is an interview he is a remainder of that interview he did with the Huffington Post, uh, because some of the stuff that he that he points out in there is pretty funny about what he said twenty or what he said because like it was like twenty five years. These interviews I found on them are were at either at the thirty year mark or twenty five year mark of since the that that hearing. So to hear some of his comments is funnier than heck. Especially when he, when he talks about it. So, anyways, so that's the week's coming. Um, these next few weeks are going to be definitely spent on the PRMRC. If we, again, like I said, we're not going to go full. I mean, Frank Zappa's uh, interview pretty much or testimony is about roughly thirty to thirty-five minutes long. That's also with the questions from the senators and their comments. Um, same thing with D. Snyder. Uh, and I think Miss John Denver's is probably around fifteen to twenty minutes long. With Colin, and mainly the reason why John Denver's was cut short was because he was actually in contact with uh, NASA at the time, trying to go on the space shuttle. That's right, he so, was. So at that time, so he was kind of he was there for a lot of other meetings besides this one meeting. So again, that's what we're going to kind of do next week. We're going to go into this the Senate hearing that was held on September nineteenth, nineteen eighty five. Again, we'll I'll probably start off with the uh we'll probably start off with uh hearing actually we'll probably we'll hear from Tipper and uh Susan Baker first. And we'll go from there, depending on the length of that. We're gonna try to cut this back to being the hour podcast that it is. 
But due to this, I know I made a lot of comments in this, and we did do a lot of extra stuff in this. Hopefully, I wasn't too offensive to a lot of people. If I am, do I fucking care? No. <laughs> I really don't, because as far as I'm concerned with the PMRC, they, as Blackie Lawless once said, and I will play this once I once we get to that point, but he said this on a live show, show recording in 1986, or actually 19, yeah, 86, 87, on the headlet no, what tour are they on? Um, inside the Electric Circus tour, they they had he had written a song called "Harder and Faster." He said, pretty much said, uh, "I'm sure uh, that he'd been reading in the newspapers and the magazines about him and his boys, and one group in particular are called the PMRC." And then you can hear the crowd start booing. Um, and then he says, uh, "Known as the Washington Wives." I don't know about you, but to me, that sounds like some, some, some sort of goddamn Jackie, somebody, uh, Hollywood fucking novelty, if you ask me. Well, this is for that whole bunch, and I agree with this one a whole 100%, because they can suck me, suck me, eat me raw. This is harder, faster. <laughs> anyways, anyways, let's get the hell out of here. In closing, we would like to thank you all for downloading this episode. If you are a new listener and haven't subscribed, please click the subscribe button. If you subscribe, you will be notified when a new episode becomes available. Another way to help our podcast is by giving us a five-star review. It will help new listeners find this show when they are looking for a new podcast to listen to. Also, you... Our listeners can share this show on your own social media accounts to help spread the word about this podcast. Thanks again to all our current and longtime listeners. Used and Abused can be found on the following social media platforms. Twitter at Used Abused Pod. Facebook at Used Abused Pod. Tumblr, Used Abused Pod. Instagram, Used and Abused Pod. And it's spelled out A-N-D. YouTube, Used and Abused Pod. Email usedandabusedpod at gmail.com again, and it's spelled out A-N-D. And as always, all social media links will be included in the description of each and every episode, so you can always click on those links as well. We can be found on the following podcast apps and directories. Anchor. iTunes. Apple Podcasts. Google Play Music. Google Podcasts. Pocket Casts. Overcast. Breaker. CastBox. Radio Public. Spotify. And TuneIn. Please rate and review Used and Abused, a music podcast. Until the next episode. Have a great weekend. A great work week. Be kind to everyone. And and keep keep the music playing. playing.